0: Well, good evening, everybody. It's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mir, Alberta. I'm also the interim CEO for the Alberta Prosperity Project. So welcome to our Wednesday evening webinar entitled, We May Have Won This Round, But We Better Get Off The Ropes. Now, if you saw the event posted earlier on today, uh, the event was titled a little bit differently. A word was missing and it uh, changed the tone of the title quite a bit. So it originally said, not on purpose, this was by accident, we may have won this round, better get out the ropes. Totally different uh, meaning. Now, uh, I want to apologize. Uh, That certainly wasn't what we meant to to title this webinar. Uh, As all of you know, I'm, I'm a pacifist. I yell and swear every now and then, but I don't believe in any of the violent revolutionary type things that some people talk about. So that certainly wasn't the intention with the title. The title of this webinar is we may have won the round, but we better get off the ropes. And the reason I say that is because we did have a win as of late. Um, The Ingram case, which has been moving its way through the courts at the speed of molasses in Alberta in January, finally got a ruling and the ruling said that the CMOH orders, the chief medical officer of health orders that, impacted every single person in Alberta and in this country, uh, shuttered businesses, prevented people from being with their loved ones as they passed away, uh, caused um, suicide rates and drug use to go up considerably, and all sorts of other horrible economic impacts were in fact not made in a legal way. They were illegal. Uh, I've got a couple of gentlemen, Mr. Jeff Rath and Leighton Gray, who are going to join us tonight, and they're going to explain that to us. But the reason I said that we need to get off the ropes is because we're kind of in a bit of a boxing match here with the government for our rights. And this Ingram decision is a win. But at the same time, in that decision, the judge basically says, you know, everything the government did was right. And they did a great job in all these things. It was fine that they infringed on your rights like that. But it's unfortunate that they did it the wrong way. So unfortunately, it was illegal. But they still did the right thing. So all of the mechanisms are in place for the government to do these things to us. At any time, the government could declare a a public health emergency. The CMOH could say, Chris, we need your restaurant. Everybody out. We're turning it into a vaccination clinic. And they would be well within the law, within their rights to do so. We're still in a position where the government can trample on our rights on a whim. And I say a whim uh, for a reason. It's because... You may think that the government has to prove they have to justify in a free and democratic society why they're infringing on our rights. But in this case, the justification came from one person, the CMOH, who was a doctor, yes, with very little experience, zero experience managing a pandemic. That one person was allowed to say to a court, There's a pandemic and the court says, okay, we believe you, you're an expert, there's a pandemic, take away people's rights. And I have a big problem with that. As to these gentlemen, uh, these two gentlemen who we're about to bring on, who just scored this victory for freedom. So, uh, sorry about my long-winded intro, and I would like to welcome Mr. Jeffrey Rath and uh, Leighton Gray to the webinar entitled, We May Have Won This Round, But We Better Get Off The Ropes. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Hello can you hear so Chris, me? I can hear
1: outside. you just fine.
0: Okay, yeah. perfect. All right. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah.
2: Yeah, And just at the outset. I have to say regardless of how you titled it, you know, the get out the ropes thing, very unfortunate. None of us condone violence, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't know Neither either Layton or I have ever been on the ropes as far as we're concerned. As far as the fight goes, we've been in the middle of the ring slugging it out and, uh, uh, and quite frankly, uh, you know, is what what our plan is going forward and we're going to continue to do so, you know, I mean, honestly, from our perspective, uh, we've never been on the ropes. And, and quite frankly, as far as I'm concerned, in any event, um, the decision regardless of how, um, the you know, with respect to the great respect to the learned man of justice remain, tried to characterize it, um, you know, after the fact. Um, you know, I'm certainly of the view that this is a victory, and I'm certainly of the view that anything that she had to uh, say with regard to the Constitution is what's called obiter dicta. Um, you know, another word for which is irrelevancies or irrelevant or, uh, or irrelevant comments that have nothing to do with the actual precedential portion of the decision, which is known as the ratio decidendi. And the ratio of the decision is every single order that was challenged of Bina Hinshaw's was found by the court to be illegal. So that's, uh, I see this as a big victory and uh, and nothing in between.
0: And as do I. And so thank you guys for your tenacity in dealing with this. And thank you for taking it on. Uh, There were many who were asked and wouldn't do it. And you guys had the uh, testicular fortitude to do it. So thank you very much. Uh, And I do want to point out, uh, at no time have I ever thought you guys were on the ropes. Um, I've been following your work uh, in court and out of court throughout this almost the whole time and uh, I know you guys are really you pack a punch but there are a lot of people in this province who have been absolutely pummeled by these government policies some are no longer with us uh, you know yeah. it's just it's just like one kick in the teeth and then a kick in the nuts right after it seems yeah. so yeah in that in that way uh, some of us are, are are on the ropes and we better I think we got to do something about it
1: yeah I uh first of all I want to compliment uh, Walter on that great opening. That is really beautiful theatrical stuff there. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the theme from the Gladiator movie for those who are old enough to remember. But um uh no I think you know this case is uh is very very important. I know uh, unfortunately Barbara Romaine, Justice Barbara Romaine, had a had a duty especially in this case to write a decision that was intelligible to every Albertan and not just to judges and lawyers. And uh, sadly, she didn't do that. Um, You know, she devoted 80 pages, as Jeff said, 80 80 pages of a 90-page decision to obfuscate and confuse and conflate the truth. She went into an inquiry into the constitutionality of a law that she had ruled was illegal, uh, which, which actually appellate courts tell her is something she's not supposed to do. And unfortunately, we're finding out why she did that. Uh, Leftist media has picked this up and people are confused and some radio stations were saying that we lost, which is complete rubbish. But the real point of this decision uh, to take out of it is it's going to mean nothing unless the Danielle Smith government takes this as a call to action to make uh, specific changes, important changes to the law jeff has some ideas about that that he can talk about in terms of the interpretation act but speaking specifically about the public health act section 29 has to be either completely repealed or rewritten i think for a start we need to abolish completely the officer the 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 office of the chief medical officer of health we don't need a chief medical officer of health we don't need to give her dictatorial power he or she to have dictatorial powers. And Chris, what you said off the top is totally accurate. Right today, our current chief medical officer of health uh, could declare a climate emergency the way Nicole Schwab is saying we should, and could declare a public health emergency without even consulting the premier. So, well, that's um, you know.
2: jump in, that's one of the most troubling things about um, this decision. Um, and, you know, and I saw somebody threw a comment up on the, you know, up on the screen, and I had this thought today when I, when I wrote a substack uh, called The Truth About the Illegal Hinshaw Orders, um, uh, and my substack called Conspiracy Facts with Jeffrey Rath. Um, so if you are to go to my substack and read it, you'll see that that's one of the first things that I identified, is that essentially Madam Justice Romaine has written a how-to manual for the next evil bureaucrat, to become dictator of the province of Alberta under the present legal regime. Clearly, uh, uh, Justice Romain found that were it not for Dina Hinshaw um, deferring her medical judgment to a Divinity School dropout by the name of Jason Kenny, who had no medical knowledge or medical expertise whatsoever, um, there was a real danger that the court would have found these orders to be lawful and then applied the um, Uh, you know, I would say the misanalysis of the charter issues uh, that was set out by um, uh, Justice Romaine in her decision to those issues, and in fact, it would give blessing to, you know, a a full-on medical dictatorship in the province. Let's not forget that, uh, you know, the the current um, CMOH um, was uh, an apparatchik of AHS in the same way that uh, Dina Hinshaw was. And during the pandemic, uh, Dr. Joffe's big claim to fame was writing Eric Payne a letter um, on AHS letterhead saying, "Gee, if you're really concerned about these vaccines, the Pfizer and the and the uh, and the um, uh, Moderna vaccine, maybe you should d- just take Astrazeneca or Johnson and Johnson instead." So our president, CMOH, big contribution to medicine during the, the pandemic, or as I call it, the pandemic of the public health news management crisis was to tell Dr. Payne, who had legitimate concerns about the safety of the vaccines, that if he's really concerned about the safety of the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine, there were two other vaccines that were so unsafe that they ended up being taken off the market that he could have, said he could have taken instead. So that's the, that's the genius that we now have as our CMOH, and people need to keep that in mind. I mean, we're one, as Clayton says, we're we're one nutty declaration by Theresa Tanaway from another medical, um, another medical dictatorship in the province of Alberta,
0: and she's already started speaking like that. She's oh, already, no, no. already conflating uh, federal issues with with health.
2: She's already issued uh, uh, papers through the um, Public Health uh, Agency of Canada, declaring a climate emergency, declaring that climate change is the largest public health threat ever facing Canada, ever to face Canada, and um, that the biggest causes of climate change are heteronormativity, ableism, and capitalism. So, you know, great. So, all, you know, like literally, um, you know, we're, uh, uh, you know, at any time, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Joffe could declare a public health emergency on the basis of the statements of, uh, of Teresa Tam and outlaw able-bodied Hard-working family men and women uh, who work for private business in the province of Alberta, on the basis that all of us contribute to climate change and are the primary root cause of climate change. So uh, that's the level of foolishness that we're dealing with.
0: I have a great question for.
2: Out of existence.
0: I have a great question for you guys, since you are both uh, very learned regarding the Constitution. Cliff says rewriting the law sounds great, but wouldn't any future government be able to change it? So how can it be written in stone? What kind of laws are written in stone? Well, yeah. the
2: answer is Cliff that yes, you know, governments and legislatures can always rewrite laws, but it is a it is a layer of protection that would be available. And if people watching this and people that are putting together uh, submissions for the uh, UCP AGM coming up in September would go back and look at my Substack 13, um, dealing with proposed legislative changes. I've actually drafted all of the legislative changes that I think are necessary to fix the ongoing problems, including amendments to the Public Health Act, um, the Administrative Law Act, the um, Alberta Interpretation Act, and so on. And, um, uh, you know, what it does by putting it into legislation, even though future governments uh, can change it, you know, they have to do so publicly. They can be held accountable by the electorate. And at least if Danielle Smith were to immediately act on that and change these laws, we wouldn't have to worry about it for the currency of her tenure, or as long as we continued to keep uh, the communists in the uh, new democratic party from taking control of this process again. So, you know, it's not a perfect solution, but it's certainly better than leaving it to the justices of the court of Queen's Bench to take judicial notice of, you know, fact findings in other jurisdictions, uh, to um, you know, to make findings on the basis of what lawyers didn't say in court, um, you know, and all the things that they do to come up with, uh, you know, to come up with the the, the, the judge-made law um, that they've been uh, that they've been promoting. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the, in the in my Substack 13, which is really a, a synopsis of my testimony at the National Citizens Inquiry. I specifically identify the Bavloff and Dore decisions, both of which were cited by Madam Justice Romaine in the recent Ingram decision in her interpretation of the Constitution. And my view is that both of those cases should be legislated out of existence. Legislatures have the power to change the common law through legislation. Common law simply fills in a vacuum. And, uh, you know, where this legislature to act um, on the suggestions that I've made um, in my sub- in substack 13, uh, none of this would be able to happen again as long as those laws weren't amended. So that would be my answer to that right question.
1: There's right there's actually a very good reason why we would not want laws written in stone, and that's illustrated by the Ingram decision. If if the if Dina Hinshaw's health orders were written in stone, we wouldn't have been able to have them, uh, you know, struck out. So the law has to change, it has to grow, it has to develop. And what Jeff is talking about, these legislative changes are vitally important and and uh, and, and they are necessary. And I believe they are going to come. Uh, there was a question earlier, Chris, someone put on the board or, or someone said, you know, I hope that Danielle Smith is listening. Um, one thing I do know uh, uh, in, in terms of following Danielle Smith is that not so long ago when she was a broadcaster, uh, she was talking about Section 29 of the Public Health Act and that it needed to be changed. She was warning about it and, and uh, talking about it. I recall she had uh, Minister Nixon on her show at one point and, and uh, questioned him quite vigorously on this. about. Was this pre-COVID? Uh, yes. Well, no, this is during COVID when she was doing her radio show. Oh, okay. And, uh, and so I know I'm, I'm quite confident that Danielle Smith is aware of the problems with the Public Health Act And that, uh, and that, I'm I'm, my hope, and I know Jeff's is too, is that she's going to take this Ingram decision as an impetus, as a motivation, to proceed to make those changes and that need to be made. Are they going to be written in stone? No, but they are going to improve the law for the better, and that's the job. That's really the best thing we can ask a legislature to do at any given time.
0: So, what would it look like? If we, like, say, for instance, Alberta had a a referendum on independence and we wrote an Alberta constitution and we enshrined uh, the rights and freedoms that we're supposed to have in the Canadian constitution in our constitution without the uh, pesky section one, what would would something like that look like?
1: Well, that's something that could happen. Uh, I know Jeff has an idea about another solution involving the Interpretation Act that could proscribe or restrict the exercise of discretion by judges in Alberta to section one. Do you want to explain about that, Jeff?
2: Yeah, because all of the case, all of the case law thing with section one of the charter is judge made law. And it's completely open to legislatures to pass laws as to how judges are supposed to interpret laws. And that includes the, that would include the constitution. So, you know, my, you know, my suggestion, you know, one of my suggestions is that we amend the Alberta interpretation act, uh, to make it clear to judges that what Section what section 1 means or Section 1 is only ever to be applied in the case of, you know, the complete destruction of the province, you know, and the legislature of Alberta, you know, effectively, you know, a, you know, a time of imminent war or real peril. But, you know, obviously, from my perspective, you know, a Chinese cold bug never rose to that level. And certainly from the perspective of numerous other, uh, constitutional scholars including brian Peckford who is a signatory to the uh constitution act 1982 um section one was never intended um to uh per, you know prevent governments from being held accountable for rights violations um you know in the manner that we've suffered because keep in mind under the under the um the present constitutional framework you know Section one isn't the remedy that government should be using, and we made this argument to Justice Romaine. If governments really don't like what you know, um, uh, you know what uh, um, a court says or how a, a law is interpreted uh, in terms of a court finding uh, something to be unconstitutional, the government can still invoke the notwithstanding clause in the Constitution and pass legislation saying, "Well, we don't give a crap what the court says." about the charter striking down our law, that law will apply notwithstanding the the ruling of the court. And of course the problem by the courts bending over backwards to allow these section one arguments of the government is it really allows governments not to be held accountable. The whole point of forcing the government to invoke the notwithstanding clause is to put every MLA on record as being prepared to trample on the rights of the citizens of the province so that they can be held accountable at the ballot box. And what the courts are doing is they're running interference by the government by allowing these speech section one arguments, and are preventing individual MLAs and members of the legislature from being held accountable by the electorate. And that's my real concern with what's going on here with the way that uh, section one has just been handed out like lollipops to governments right across this country, um, you know, by courts right across this country. Uh, You know, because simply because the government says, oh, my goodness, we have, you know, we have a Chinese cold bug attacking the country and people are getting sick. And oh, my goodness, people over 90 are dying, Uh, you know, at rates higher than people over 90 normally die. We need a national emergency to destroy the entire national economy. You know, this is the idiocy we've been dealing with. And what really bothers me is that the judges have been endorsing this kind of thinking. Again, you know, by handing out section, you know, the section one remedy, you know, like it's a lollipop to a kid at a dentist's office. I mean, it's not, it's not the way the constitution was ever intended to be applied. Would you disagree with that analysis, Mr. (laughs) I
1: I love the lollipop uh, uh, (laughs) metaphor (laughs) because sometimes, sometimes they suck.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, well, that's the problem, right? When when was the last time a province used the notwithstanding clause?
2: Oh, Alberta
1: uses. has used it a few times. Or Quebec has used it the most, yeah, but Alberta Quebec has used it a few times.
2: Quebec uses it every year or two, right?
1: Yeah. So
0: it's not uncommon. It's not
2: difficult. No. It's not difficult to use, right? But that's the proper procedure for a government to follow because every single MLA or you know membre, you know the La Nationale in Quebec. Then has to go on record and say yes, I support the government trampling on the rights of our citizens, and they can and and then uh, and leave themselves open to being held accountable at the ballot box. That's that's the appropriate remedy, and the courts shouldn't be sticking themselves between the people and their legislators.
0: So we've seen, uh, you know, we've seen over the last three years, the government, and not not just the government, but we've seen all sorts of people in, in positions of authority making policy and then passing the buck and saying, oh, well, it wasn't me that wanted to do this. It was actually these guys. And now that's really caught up with them, at least in this one area, right? So uh, uh, Dina Hinshaw tried to say, oh, well, you know, I was just giving them options and the government was was deciding what to do. And the government was saying, no, no, it was the, it was the chief medical officer of health, health doing what she had to do in her job uh, to protect public health. It wasn't us. But now we have a judge that's actually waded through all that and said hey you know this is what actually happened there's no passing the buck here you did it wrong and now you're going to pay for it so that that was a previous administration and the, the strange and the tricky thing is now is it's the same government albeit different people different uh there's different board members all sorts of things but this people need to be reminded that the administration has changed since these things have happened so I'm really curious to see what this current administration is going to do with this ruling. Like if Daniel Smith has been talking about Section 29 for a couple of years now, uh, wouldn't that be neat if this was the the, the mandate she needed to get that done?
1: I, I really think that we're going to see that happen. I really do. I, I'm convinced that, uh, that she is sincere about making these changes. Um, you know, it's very difficult. There's a lot. There's a big mess to clean up. Alberta Health Services was totally weaponized as a as a health Gestapo was turned into an investigative and prosecutorial agency, as you know, Chris, uh, being one of the victims of the Whistle Stop Cafe prosecutions, uh, which is a dark, dark page in in our province's legal history. And I mean, I remember participating in those hearings and, you know, trying to get Timothy Stevens bail uh, and uh, just some of the ridiculousness, for example, um the 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 police went out and they served a person uh with the with the with the whistle stop injunction uh and with the and with the ticket notice who was not Timothy Stevens they served the wrong guy and pastor Timothy Stevens of the Fairview Bas- Baptist Church in Calgary was imprisoned at the time and i i remember actually having to produce a sworn statement from the person who was mistakenly served and forwarding that to a lawyer. I won't say who it was, but it was a lawyer in private practice who was hired by Alberta Health Services. And, and even in the face of that, for several days, they refused to release Timothy Stevens. That's how bad things were at that time. So I I'm I, I, you know there's a big mess to clean up in terms of Alberta Health Services. I think the Chief Medical Officer of Health, the whole office has to go. And and these emergency powers that are within the Public Health Act, uh, those have to go as well. I mean, I agree with Jeff. I mean, he makes some tremendous suggestions in his uh, sub stack number 13. And there are some other ideas. And and I believe that this government is open. I'm optimistic that we're going to make these changes. Uh, we'd better because like you said the, the this the opening of the show, uh, that is, if the opening was not intended to be an invitation to a lynching, that no, uh, you know, we better, we better we better make some 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 changes. But I believe that those are coming. But you know, it's not enough for people. One of the problems with COVID. I'll just finish off on this point and then hand it over to Jeff. One of the problems with the pandemic. One of the real issues is you know we've got to stop staring at the tops of the trees and expecting you know the Danielle Smiths and the Pierre Pauliviers of, of the world to fix everything. You know we've we've got people got to be boots on the ground they have to get involved in their own communities uh get involved with the ucp get involved with it's so easy to get involved with the constituency association to volunteer to join a library board to join a school board uh you know join your local town or city council you can really make a difference there and if you're not there some other person who's woke or who thinks that lockdowns are great and that the world economic form is great and that 50 minute cities are the answer to all of humanity's problems. They're going to be sitting in those chairs and you can't really complain if you're not prepared to get out of your chair and out of your house and, and, uh, and make a difference.
0: That's a good point. We have people uh, yelling at the tops of the trees. Meanwhile, you know, they're, they're, Friends and neighbors are sitting there chopping it down, and they're not saying anything of it. Yeah, I really hope that we can fix this because this picture here—this is one of the best pictures ever taken of me. And uh, if we don't fix it, there's going to be more of these. Let me show you that. There you go. That's one of the best yeah. pictures ever. Is that of me. terrible?
1: Yeah, that's just shameful that that happened. You know, and that's why APP is so important, is because APP fundamentally is a grassroots movement. It's open; it people can jo- can join. They can come out to meetings. Uh, you know, we want to meet you. We want to we want to greet you. We want to help you want to give you jobs and get you involved. And uh, that that's APP and, and organizations like APP. Well, there really isn't anything else like APP out there. But but uh, but organizations like APP um, are really where people can engage and get involved and make a difference in their communities. Uh, and and actually have a say in what the province of Alberta is going to look like going forward for the children and grandchildren.
2: That was exactly the point I was going to make, and it was a point that I made at the recent, uh, you know, hugely successful APP meeting at Bowden, where we had over 500 people show up on a beautiful hot June day uh, to, you know, to come and uh, be involved in the Alberta Prosperity Project. And you know, for those of you that are out there listening tonight. That are not currently APP members, I would urge you all to go online and buy a membership and join up. Because you know, as an organization, the more members we have, the more seriously we're taken by government. And hear me—that we are taken very seriously. The government knows that we currently have over ten thousand active, uh, you know, active members with supporters. that number, you in the, you know, in the um, you know tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. And the you know the APP has the ability to you know change by-election results to you know change the results of elections in in ridings uh, to influence policy um, you know at every level of the province. So I would really urge everybody watching tonight to strongly if you want to strike a uh, you know strike a blow for freedom seriously consider uh, joining APP and uh, becoming an active member because the more of us there are. Um, you know, the stronger the positions are that we can advocate with uh, with the government. So I'd like to thank Leighton
1: for for, uh, for making mm. that. But and you know, uh, the other thing APP has Jeff <laughs> is that it has uh, as as part of its board the only two lawyers who have won a major COVID litigation in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh,
2: uh, it's
1: a rumor, rumor. Just saying, not bragging. Just saying. <laughs> In case Nick Parker is watching this.
0: Yeah. I think well. there's a little bit there's a little bit of bragging rights here. And i you know it's, it's good. To, get
2: back, to get back to the decision for a minute. Um, you know, I want to again, you know, reiterate the importance of the finding that every single order that was challenged in the Ingram case was found to be patently unlawful. Um, you know, this is a big deal. I mean, clearly, you know, people like you, Chris, who've been charged under the uh, you know, under the public health act. I can't imagine that there's any judge in the province that would allow those charges to be contained now because it's, you know, beyond, you know, it's, it's sort of completely outside of the framework of the law that somebody could be convicted for, uh, you know, um, under a law that's been declared by a superior court of justice uh, to be, um, to be ultra vires at statute and accordingly unlawful. You know, there's not, other than other than in the old Soviet Union. I'm I, I'm not aware of uh, you know any jurisdiction that would allow the prosecution of citizens under unlawful laws. Right. For those right. of you
0: wondering, these are the CMOH orders that were deemed to be uh, outside the law. There's only a couple.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, well, the, you know, <laughs> the other point the other point uh, to remember is that although our case, Jeff and I fought to have uh, the orders after after September 1st, 2021 to be included in this in this court case, Uh, the government fought us hard and sadly uh, uh, they prevailed on that particular point. At that point, turned out to be moot. And this is why the implication of this decision is that um, all of the orders that followed September 1st, 2021 are just as illegal. And that's because it's very clear based upon the evidence that came out, not only in our case, but in the CM decision, that the same illegal process was followed in relation to all the subsequent orders. And so I think there's a very strong legal argument that could be made that the same uh, decision, even though they're not listed there as uh, orders that were uh, declared invalid formally by the court, Uh, I I think there's a very strong and persuasive argument could be made that all subsequent orders were just as illegal because they were created under the same illegal process whereby the Chief Medical Officer of Health was going to lay people, non-expert people like the Premier and the Cabinet, for for instructions about what to put in the orders.
2: And I just want to correct the record too slightly for a second. I mean, we can't get too carried away with with taking credit here, there's two other lawyers in the province of Alberta that have won um, <laughs> major COVID case, and that's oh, uh, sure.
1: I know where this is going. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: uh, <laughs> went to court to try to ask all of our kids without our without consulting with us and without our, without our consent. And they were the first lawyers to successfully argue in front of the judge that any order issued by, um, uh, you know, Dina Hinshaw that was really. the result of are are really an order of Jason Kenney in the cocktail cabinet pursuant to a a list of um, you know uh, you know suggestions made to them by uh, by Dina Hinshaw any order that followed that process was found by uh, Justice Dunlop in the CM case to be ultra virus section 29 of the statute so you know immediately following that decision um, myself and a brilliant lawyer that Leighton and I had the pleasure of working with uh, throughout this case, by the name of Natalie Johnson, uh, she and I and Leighton drafted a you know twenty-some odd page brief to um, Madam Justice uh, Romaine as to how the CM decision was actually binding on her and was completely applicable in its reasoning and otherwise um, in within the framework of the doctrine of stare decisis, including providing uh, Justice Romaine with appellate level authority that stated that she needed to follow um recently decided decisions of justice fellow justices of her own court that were properly reasoned so in large part that's why it is that justice romaine went the way she went on section 29 she wasn't left with much of a choice and again i'd like to thank orlo kelly and sharon roberts for the great <laughs> in pioneering that decision even though they were doing it for the wrong reasons yeah
1: <laughs> Really, I got a,
2: I gotta. Let me finish. That they were acting for the ATA. That really was the definition of a pure victory. So, anyway, my hat's off to them in any event. And thank so you. I much.
0: have to say it because uh, I have a friend within the ATA. His name is Gil McGowan. Uh, I had the pleasure oh, of meeting really. him on the steps of the legislature as he was um, spewing a bunch of hateful lies about. He's your friend? And our government. Did, no, wow. absolutely not. <laughs> But he's a human being and I shook his hand. and I said, hey, Gil, thanks for uh, using your voice. Now I'm going to go on Facebook and I'm going to debunk everything you said because you're a lying, you know, you're a, you're a lying communist. Anyway, so the ATA and Gil, a, and Gil McGowan, friends of our uh, our friends within the NDP and our uh, fearless ex-leader Rachel Notley, they decided that kids should still be masked after Dina Hinshaw rec- uh, uh, said that kids don't have to be masked in school. These people actually said no. Get the mask back on the kids. They need to be masked, they need to be jabbed, blah, blah blah all these things. And so they took the Alberta government to court. So the lawyers that were working for the uh is it the Alberta, Alberta Teachers Association or yeah. Federation? One oh, of the two, yeah, Gil yeah. McGowan's group. It's a yeah. it's a it's a lobby group and they're paid very well, uh and appointed as as NDP board members when they uh, uh win elections. But anyway, that's beside the point. So they went to court. And their lawyers won for them. Their lawyers won. And a judge said, Okay, yeah, we the mask should go back on kids yeah. because this order was done illegally. No, no, it wasn't no, no, no. Right.
2: No, 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 Chris. I, I have to jump in. The judge never ordered the mask back on kids. He said, If you want an order saying that saying oh, that, yes. okay. the section the, the saying that the order was ultra vires section twenty-nine, I'll yeah. get that. I'm sure he was snickering yeah. up. Up his, the sleeve of his robe, going like, I'm not sure you really understood what you just asked for, but hey, so, if you want it, I'll give it to
1: you. Yeah. Right?
0: It was yeah. Gil McGowan, the ATA, and Rachel Notley that won this.
2: Let, let me finish. So, anyway, um, what he ended up saying was that because time had moved on, and regardless of the fact that the order was illegal, he would grant the declaration saying that the order was ultra vires Section 29. But he certainly wasn't going to grant mandatory injunctive relief ordering every kid in this province to be remasked.
0: Uh, so okay.
2: in a nutshell what happened. I just want to make sure that we have our, our facts. So that's, yeah,
0: yeah. Th- thanks for clarifying that. But it but at the end of the day, Rachel Notley and the NDP uh used the ATA as their henchmen to go to court to try and get masks back on kids. And in doing so they unraveled the whole thing and gave you guys the opportunity to use that to win this whole thing
1: oh no well they they actually stole they stole our argument right it was it was us who came up with the statutory with the section 29 argument they just reapplied it and then had this ricochet effect that helped us so
0: this is like an episode of boston legal it's it's just amazing it's great <laughs> Definitely a, a draw gun, shoot
2: yourself in the foot kind of <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: well, they, uh, there was a question there about the Rook, about the Rook yeah. injunction, Chris. You're going to find it there. Yeah. In that in that case, the, yeah. Of,
2: in, in, in that case, given the goals of the ATA, I mean, you know, the, the lawyers drew their gun and blew, you know, and blew their own heads off. It was just crazy
1: yeah. the way yeah. it came out. But, I mean
2: amount of, the, the amount of glee on our side of the on our side of the argument when the cm decision came down was palpable.
1: Yeah. So so the rook order the rook injunction uh, was created in the same way it was created pursuant to a public health act uh, order that was that's the root of it and so this ruling that we got would would apply to that because the same degree of illegality in fact in, in the rook injunction the pathway to the Kenny government is even more clear. It's even more blatant because if you remember uh, that whistle stop injunction, it relates directly back to to Kenny. He was very public in his statements about that. And so uh, it, my position, my legal opinion uh, is that um, all of the all of the, all of the tickets that were generated in relation to these uh, these these public health act orders, these lockdown orders, are in law what's called void ab initio. That means uh, from the vi- from the very get go, they were illegal, not from the date of the decision, but from the very beginning. And so that creates a bit of a, uh, a procedural harangue for the for the government. They're going to have to work this out because, as Jeff correctly said uh, off the top of the show, um, it would be it would be more illegal. It would be, it would just it would just be be more illegal conduct on the part of the government if they tried to continue any of these prosecutions. And then it also leaves open the question of what do you do about people who have been convicted um, and have paid fines or in the case of, for example, Pastor Stevens and Pastor Coates um, who were imprisoned uh, and, were ha- and were remanded for long periods of time. Uh, so it creates a very sort of a nasty kettle of fish for the government to figure out. But the real point is um, everything that flowed from these orders from the get go is an is a legal nullity uh, and and so people need to understand that there was a bit of a uh I, I believe that the jccf put out a press release that talked about uh you know the crown needing to withdraw these charges I don't think that's correct I don't think that the crown has the legal discretion to to withdraw them that wouldn't be right because with the, that that would imply that that they had the discretion to proceed to prosecute these cases and clearly they do not
0: So what does that mean for uh, the respondents on this order, uh, one of which is me? So I Mm -hmm. got this order delivered to me at about 5.30 in the morning, uh, the day of our protest. I was protesting these policies. And of course, you saw the result of that. I was uh, thrown in the back of a cop car. I spent a few Mm -hmm. days in jail. But I was protesting these mandates, these restrictions, these laws that the CMOH was at Albertans so what does that mean for people like me or people like uh uh Tim Stevens or James Coates or Art well,
1: it means a couple of things it means that your lawyer should be contacting the crown and, and stating the position that this whole thing prosecution is vitiated that it cannot proceed and secondly you should be talking to Jeff about his new class action you want to talk about that Jeff
2: Well, yeah, I've already mentioned to Chris that our office is working on a a class action lawsuit um, with on behalf of all businesses and business owners and individuals who suffered economic losses as a result of um, all of these unlawful orders. And, you know, and again, you know, just from an equity position without getting into all the various causes of action, and there are numerous, but from an equity position, let's just back up here and think about what happened, right? Let's presume for a moment that everything that everybody on the other side of the argument had to say was true. Let's presume that everything that Dina Hinshaw said about the crisis was true. And let's presume that, um, you know, that people that were healthy and that were at no risk of dying should be locked up in their homes and having their businesses closed, et cetera, et cetera. Fine, but what was being done here? What was being done is the government of Alberta was literally taking property and taking the ability of people to earn a livelihood away from them for the benefit of all other Albertans to protect them from this awful Chinese gold bug that was gonna kill all of us. Right? right? So, you know, my you know, my, my argument in equity is that the governor and um you know if the government was taking people's businesses away from them in order to protect everybody else, well, certainly on behalf of everybody else, shouldn't the government be fully compensating all of those people who gave up their businesses and their lives and livelihoods for the benefit of everybody else in this province? From a pure fairness and equity perspective, that's the position that we're gonna be putting forward, regardless of all of the the numerous legal arguments um, that would allow us to proceed, uh, you know, by way of a class action lawsuit, um, you know, anybody wanting to know how to become part of the class action lawsuit, um, you know, please uh, uh, contact my office. It's uh, um, uh, just, uh, Rath and Company at rathandcompany.com, um, uh is the email, um, and uh, uh, and it's on our website. And uh, send in your name and your address and the basic circumstances as to how it was that. You suffered economic losses as a result of the uh, uh, of the uh, COVID order, and indicate that you would like to join the class action, and we'll be in contact with you shortly. But we're we're looking to have a statement of claim filed by uh, no later than the end of next week. So, uh, you know, we're we're moving forward on this without delay.
0: That's exciting. So now you, I believe, I you both have hand. a idle hands at the on Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think any of us are going to be, uh, our hands are going to be the devil's play thing. We're all pretty busy. So uh, y- both of you gentlemen have a class action lawsuit on your desk at the moment, do you not?
1: Yeah, we've got a couple that we're working on. Uh, one is uh, against the Government of Canada, and this is uh, in relation to um, the restrictions that, have, that were imposed by the Government of Canada, various ones, travel restrictions, regulations of, uh, you know, of, of uh, or re- restrictions placed upon uh, federally re- regulated companies. Uh, so anyone who has suffered and, and of course, every Canadian suffered uh, certain harms because of the complete uh, the completely incompetent mishandling and abusive way that we were all treated during the pandemic by our government, but especially unvaccinated people. And that's uh, we, we have one action that is that is uh, uh, aimed at helping people, the seven million of us or more who are impacted by, by the government's abusive treatment. And our premier is actually has publicly, publicly commented on that. So there's a class action that we're developing in relation to that. We're very close to filing it. Uh, we're developing a, a separate action uh, as a class action for vaccinated people. People who have suffered vaccine harms or had loved ones who have died because of vaccine harms. And, uh, and we're actually in consultation with Jeff uh, on those cases because he's had a lot of experience with class actions. Uh, over the years and and also was suing the Canadian government because of his background uh taking certain cases up to the Supreme Court of Canada and, uh in 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 land titles first nations land claims so um so those those are available if people want to contact us we're pursuing those um and uh you know we're going to take this this forward this is just the beginning it's uh you know the whole the whole covid thing is just uh we went through one phase of it and and we're fighting back uh and Jeff is an historian uh, too and we look at it like you know this is like we've, we're, we've stormed the beaches of Normandy with the Ingram decision but we haven't won anything yet you know we've got a long way to go uh, and it's going to take legislative changes it's going to take uh, litigation but it's also going to take people getting involved uh, at, at, at the grassroots level with organizations like APP and, and TBA and Take back your freedoms, all of them. Get involved. Get involved at the grassroots level, um, have, because that's going to that's what's going to make the biggest difference. And, and it's just great. to
2: and everybody watching tonight, you know, send an email to your MLA and say and, and say, yeah, hey, good idea. Yeah. We yeah. demand that every business owner um, that suffered economic losses as a result of these unlawful COVID orders be fully compensated for all of their economic losses. Yeah. um uh, because it's the right thing to do yeah. you know and that message needs to get out I mean you can't take people's businesses away from them you know to protect everyone else and then refuse to compensate people uh you know that you harm on behalf of everybody else whether right. it, whether it's legal or illegal and in yeah. this case obviously it was illegal and uh you know which makes the case for compensation even that much more compelling mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, one thing that it really hit home for me during the early part of uh, the lockdowns, and not because I've experienced it myself, but just I I thought about how I would feel experiencing this. There was we heard stories about people who uh, uh, couldn't be with their loved ones when they passed, and it made me think about my my mom. You know, my I guess she's not that old. She's like 140 or something, but she's no <laughs> spring chicken, and I just. I could not get over how that must feel to have have that part of your, your life taken from you, right? Mm-hmm. Like th- mm-hmm. when you your parents, they, they raise you, they nurture you, you kind of do your own thing for a little while, and then they pass. And for, for us not to be there with them, um, because the government simply says so, that was one of the biggest reasons why I never backed down against the restrictions uh, was Mm -hmm. was because of that. So, you know, economic losses, yeah, they should be recovered. But I I really, I want to see anyone who was had to go through that, they should be compensated too. And as a taxpayer that's going to be potentially on the hook for some of that stuff, I don't really give a crap because uh, there is no monetary value you can put on those moments that were lost. Mm -hmm. And that was the real kicker throughout this whole thing. It wasn't just economics. It wasn't just financial things. There were human aspects of people's lives that were destroyed because of government policy, and that's a lot of
2: a lot of what happened, especially with regard to um, dying relatives in hospital, you know, it was just pure evil. And yeah, I, I experienced it myself because my mother actually passed away in November of 2020. And, uh, they were actually using, and at the time the rules were that somebody was palliative or undergoing palliative care, um, they, um, you know, they would allow more than one family member in to come and see them. And they were actually using the COVID rules to try to get me to consent to them, euthanizing my daughter. you could imagine. And they're saying, well, no, no, if you let us withhold, you know, necessary antibiotics and necessary fluids and just let her die, right. Well, more than one family member can come in and visit her. And I looked this—you know—I looked this palliative care doctor straight in the eye. and I said, "Listen, you need to hear me. I've spent millions of dollars in taxes over the course of my life that I have contributed to this healthcare system. I was raised as a Catholic, and I am not being put in a position, of, you know, of, of euthanizing my mother." And I said, "We know she's here on full DNR, so I don't expect surgery. I don't expect resuscitation." But you know, if she requires fluids and antibiotics, I expect you to give them to her so that she can die in dignity. But I mean, they were literally using the COVID rules, um, you know, as a lever to try to get me to euthanize my mother. It was one of the most despicable things that I've ever experienced within the Alberta health care system. Heaven forbid that a hospital bed be taken for a day longer, you know, a day longer than we need it. Mm-hmm.
1: You
2: know, just the, you know, from one end to another, this whole thing has just been uh, mm-hmm. has just. Um, you know,
1: and that this is raises a point that uh, I'd like to emphasize for people: when you listen to to Jeff and Chris, and uh, and myself, we were we were all uh, impacted personally by COVID, and and so we were given a choice. And people need to understand that you're always going to pay a price. Uh, if you sit at home and you do nothing, you're going to pay a certain price. If you speak up and you take action, you're going to pay a price for that, too. And all three of us on, on this program and other people that we know, uh, they've they paid a price too. people like Dr. Roger Hodkinson and and people like Dr. Eric Payne and Dr. William Macus and and others. They they paid a price. You're, you're always going to pay a price no matter what. What you have to decide is which price you want to pay. If you want to be silent, uh, if you want to be a sheep, if you want to just be herded along by government and, and by by these leaders, then you can do that. But you're going to pay a price for that. But uh, I, in my mind, I know Jeff and Chris feel the same way. You know, we made a choice that we were going to speak out. Chris, you know, he started <laughs> turned his his restaurant into a drive in and uh, he risked being imprisoned. Um, and, and, you know, he's still fighting three years later. Uh, and, you know, Jeff and I, you, you know, we're just lawyers, but, uh, you know, this Ingram case was very, very difficult. People should understand. We were up against it. Uh, we were told that we had no case at every turn, that the case was hopeless. Uh, we had a judge who wore a mask and covered everything except her eyes. And she was sitting by herself in a courtroom and we're were challenging the, the you know, the requirement of masking. Um, but we made a choice we were going to stick our necks out and fight this so everyone who's listening to this and is watching this you have a choice too you just have to decide which price you want to pay uh, i think i think i think the price you pay for acting and speaking up is a lot cheaper than the other one but you've got you've got to make your own personal choice
2: you know i've, I've always maintained with all of this that you know as an example to you know to my daughter that i always wanted to be on the right side of history on this one my father actually was a very senior public health official in canada and he was involved when he was alive in cancelling the swine flu vaccine in canada because of adverse events and i can assure you that the swine flu vaccine was cancelled after far fewer adverse events than the thousands and thousands and thousands of them that have now been registered against these so-called safe and effective vaccines so you know, that's, you know, everybody needs to know that, you know, that we come to this from, you know, from, you know, deeply held personal beliefs and background and, you know, and really believe that we're on the right side with regard to this and, you know, we're going to continue to fight our entire way through on this. And that's, you know, and again, it's getting back to an earlier point, you know, with regard to the vaccine mandates, you know, part of the cost that we're going to be bringing, we're also going to be looking at loss of business, you know, for restaurants and other places where, you know, unvaccinated people, they were no longer allowed to have unvaccinated people as their customers in their businesses. I mean, that certainly harmed, uh, you know, businesses in this province. And there was no good reason for it because we've known for years in this mess that the vaccinated were just as capable or more capable of spreading COVID than the unvaccinated. So the discrimination that the unvaccinated suffered in our society and being called all the vile names that we were called by You know by trudeau and tam and you know all of their minions including dean hinshaw um were completely unjustifiable and on the on the basis of science which is uh, you know which is something that these people have little or no acquaintance with yeah
0: you wouldn't believe some of the things i heard and it wasn't always just government or authority doing it i i can't even I, i lost count of how many times people came to me and said you know i'm a nurse or i'm a doctor or i'm whatever and I've heard my coworkers talking about me like th- nurses were calling their unvaccinated co-workers wastes of skin and hoping they got COVID and died because they were standing up for their own medical choices like there's a
2: very little known public health of uh health uh Canada document that came out in July of 2021 unsurprisingly it wasn't referenced by Madam Justice Romaine in her decision know. But that uh, Health Canada document that we referenced in our materials in this litigation proved or indicated that uh, Theresa Tam and the Public Health Agency of Canada knew in July of 2021 that the vaccines were not stopping the spread and that anybody who was vaccinated was just as likely to pass on COVID as the unvaccinated. Yet the Trudeau government continued um, uh, continued with those hideous vaccine mandates that ripped this country apart. Uh, until well into 2022, and there's no reason for it on the basis of science. And certainly had Trudeau followed the science as he claimed he was doing and listened to his own bloody Public Health Agency of Canada in July of 2021, the trucker's convoy never would have happened. The Emergencies Act wouldn't have been declared, and our country wouldn't have been ripped to shreds in terms of the division that's been caused over, you know, all of these corrupt, politicians not following the science, and instead acting as vaccine salespeople with regard to vaccines that they know that, that aren't safe, aren't effective, and the companies who promoted them, you know, even got the government to sign contracts saying that they weren't warranted for safety because they were rushed to, uh, uh, they were rushed to market without adequate human testing. So this is what we're dealing with. All these battles are yet to come. And I assure you, Chris. Getting back to the uh, the, uh, the the uh, title of this show, we're certainly not on the ropes, and we're going to continue to battle from the middle of the ring because there's a lot there's a lot more fight left to be had.
0: Well, that's good to hear. Oh, and there's uh, Rebecca. She's Rebecca she's made um, comments boy. like this a few times. I think uh, I think she likes you guys.
1: She likes <laughs> Jeff. She likes Jeff a lot.
2: Uh, she appreciates the work that you did, yeah. Great.
1: The stuff. um. The real um, travesty, one of the major travesties of of this case, uh, and I'm glad that it, you know, there were other people involved in this, Tory Tanner, and of course the churches that that uh, the Justice Center represented. But you know, it's it's great that it has Rebecca that has Rebecca Ingram's name on it. But the real travesty of this case for me, or one of the major ones, is that the the Kenny government knew very early on like way back in December of 2020 when the first injunction application that Jeff brought was heard they knew what they were doing they knew it was they knew it was illegal uh, or they had a duty to find that out uh you know if you take just for example dr hinshaw she's the highest ranking uh, health official public health official in the province I believe she was the highest paid. Uh, a bureaucrat in the province, some, something in the order of half a million dollars. She was paid a quarter of a million dollar bonus uh, right before she was fired. Uh, but if you are occupying that position of authority in the middle of a pandemic and you are served with documents that's, that allege that you are exceeding your legal authority under the statute, is it not incumbent upon you to go to the the Department of Justice lawyers and ask them, "Hey guys, uh, I'm not a lawyer, but you know, these 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 this Jeff Rath guy is saying that I've exceeded my statutory authority by making these health orders. Is he right? And 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 if she received that advice, isn't it incumbent upon her and the government to rescind those orders? They, that that's that's the terrible thing for me. That's the travesties. They knew about this at least." In december of 2020 and they kept going with these as jeff says all the way through until uh i mean these restrictions were not fully uh uh removed i think until may or june of last year and well, and they you know so that 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 to me is very very suspicious and uh and heinous that's that's public uh malfeasance in my opinion to do that to 4.8 million albertans i agree i,
2: that. I was corresponding or sending letters and notices to dean office throughout along with Jason Kenny and everyone else, you know, advising them of the attorney general of Nebraska's opinion and the findings of the state of Nebraska on ivermectin, the studies on Uttar Pradesh that were referenced in the attorney general of Nebraska opinion. Um, I, I, you know, I got them to actually acknowledge the Ontario um, science table finding that fluvoxamine reduced COVID mortality by 90%. By 90%. Yet, notwithstanding the fact they acknowledged that you know, the Ontario science table you know, had, had endorsed fluvoxamine, Dina Hinshaw would still only approve it for use in Alberta in the context of um, controlled studies where you have a placebo group and, a, um, you know, and, a, uh, and a, an active drug uh, group. There was no excuse for any of that. And from the date that that finding, and that was the question I put to everybody in writing. You know, I said, from the date that the Ontario science table said that fluvoxamine, which works the same way as ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and all of those, uh, all of those drugs were proven effective against COVID, uh, to the extent that fluvoxamine has been acknowledged by the biggest science table in the country of reducing COVID mortality by 90%, which of you are going to be responsible for the 9 out of 10 COVID deaths that are going to occur because you refuse to endorse this drug in the same way that Ontario has? Of Mm -hmm. course, never got an answer. They never changed their policy beyond, you can have it, you know, you can use it in a clinical trial. They never endorsed ivermectin. They never endorsed hydroxychloroquine. They didn't even endorse vitamin D. It was all about, you know, get, you know, get back, get back, get back to safe and effective. And we all know now, thanks to MP Tony Housefather in Ontario, the reason that the government of, of, of the Trudeau government is withholding those contracts is because the contracts say that the vaccines are not, are not warranted by the drug companies to be safe and effective. Hmm. So, you know, that's this a, is what dealing with.
0: That's a great time for this question then from Judy. Why are none of these politicians not being held accountable and charged?
1: Well, the, the, the short answer is that most of them are still in power. Um, uh, and uh, they, believe you me, they're very worried about this this is why we have not had a full-blown public inquiry uh, you know, unless you count that ridiculous one that they had in Ottawa, but we have not have not had a full-blown public inquiry, at least not a formal one. The national citizens uh, inquiry uh, has done a lot of great work and Jeff and I both participated in it, Uh, but we have not had a formal, we haven't had a formal, it it was more than that. It was suppressed, Uh, but we have not had a formal inquiry in any province. Uh, or, or, or certainly not federally, and that isn't going to happen as long as the, as long as the liberals are there. I do, I am, however, confident that Alberta is going to be the first province in this country. I'm going to go on record as predicting this. I'm predicting that at some point, uh, Daniel, the Daniel Smith government, is going to order a full blown, uh, you know, public inquiry into <laughs> how the, this government handled the pandemic in this province, and that's the, I mean. The, the, those recommendations, that public inquiry is important for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is, you know, what uh, what Judy Matcham here is saying. To some, you know, on, on some level, we cannot have, uh, a, you know, a, a full amnesty uh, without some level of accountability. Uh, pe- you know, the major actors like Deena Hinshaw, we have the Ingram case now that clearly show that Deena Hinshaw behaved illegally. And that I'm she knew she was doing I'm it.
2: Let me jump in on that. Too, sure. Because, yep. you know, just on a long way to try to exonerate Dean Hinshaw from doing anything wrong and said she was oh so credible. You're notwithstanding, you know, what Leighton and I both consider to be, you know, you know, any number of obfuscations, half truths and outright uh, falsehoods that were told by Dina Hinshaw on the, on, on the stand. Now, you know, leaving all of that aside. You know, one of the big issues with regard to the so called rehabilitation of Dina Hinshaw, keep in mind what Leighton was saying about uh, how much money that woman was paid as the CMOH. She's a CMOH alone, she was paid over a million dollars of our money, right? And she's being paid a million dollars of CMOH. And the court just found that our million dollar CMOH was so ignorant of her own statutory role and authority that she didn't know how to exercise the powers granted her in you know in a proper legal fashion under the public health act you know incidentally just as well for the rest of us that she didn't but you know this is our million dollar lady who doesn't even know what the freaking statute she's operating under means and doesn't know that she shouldn't be asking a divinity school dropout for medical advice and you
0: know, yet she has a I dinosaur named after know, her <laughs>
2: Would you? Would you um, agree, <laughs> Mr. Gray. I, I, I agree
0: hundred percent. Yeah, I do. So, I, with regards to the inquiry, is the Alberta government not doing an inquiry as we speak? Of which it, Preston Manning is the chairperson?
1: It's uh, it's not a full blown inquiry. There, what she's done is she's uh, she's set aside two million dollars uh, to commission a panel, and uh, they're working right now. It's it is headed by Preston Manning and uh, they were to deliver a report by the end of June. Uh, that was delayed, I think in large degree because of the provincial election, because let's face it uh, they, they wouldn't, we wouldn't have anything like that under Rachel Notley's uh, rule in this province. Uh, well, in fact, we would probably all be locked locked down and, and masked and tied to our beds. But, uh, but the thing is um, with the Manning, with that Manning panel, they're gonna deliver a report in in November, but that's not a full-blown public inquiry. A full-blown public inquiry is where you know you empanel a group of people and you have lawyers, maybe people like Jeff and myself, there, and witnesses are subpoenaed. Uh, people perhaps like you know Tyler Shandro and Mr. Copping and Mr. Nadu and others to to answer questions under oath. That Jason Kenny could be subpoenaed and required to, to answer questions about decisions that were made, which impact Albertans, which caused deaths, decisions that actually cause harm and damage. Uh, and then all of that evidence is heard. And then out of that all uh, out of that evidence, uh, recommendations are made by the panel. And some of those recommendations would be along the lines of changing the law. But those recommendations could also include uh, sanctioning certain individuals for uh, uh things that they did which violated the law and caused harm uh so so the you know i think that is necessary i think it's part of a let's say a, a, a catharsis uh for our society because we all went through something really really awful together we experienced it in different ways and uh being part of the national citizens inquiry I can tell you uh everyone who participated in that um you, you know they there was, There was something about that that was healing, Uh, that was was therapeutic about going through that process and just listening to people and hearing their stories and having them documented. Because, you know, we were all censored. We were all set apart. We were all isolated. And, And to come together publicly and recognize what happened and to take account of it and for people to understand that there are consequences for wrongdoing, I think is really, really important for our province. Absolutely. It
0: definitely is.
2: Well, you know, the other thing, too, that I wanted to add, um, you know, about, uh, you know, the, uh, um, you know, the running, uh panel, you know, my concern is that, you know, like if we're talking about truth and reconciliation, we need to have a healthy dose of truth before we can get to reconciliation. And my concern is that, you know, all of the, you know, there's, there's still all of the evil people that were in government that were responsible for a lot of these abuses. That are busy behind the scenes trying to continue to sweep everything under the carpet, and and even even the even the Preston Manning inquiry. You know, I've sent um, copies of my Substack 13 to them on a couple of occasions. I resent it today, as a matter of fact, (laughs) after (laughs) read it uh, and following the Ingram decision. um, You know, I've yet to receive the courtesy of a reply from Mr. Manning, so I don't. You know, I, I you know I don't. You know, I don't know what they're doing and what the intentions are with regard to the recommended legislative changes. You know, my concern, you know, after reading call um, uh, column the other day is that the bureaucracy is circling the wagons and any legislative changes they're going to make is to simply ensure that, you know, the next time around they can exercise their powers in an unfettered way and not have to worry about any pesky judge saying after the fact that they did anything wrong. So, you know, as a province and as citizens, you know, we need to tell our MLAs that we expect, you know, the people to be in charge and, you know, and not, you know, and not the administrative state, which, you know, you know, which, you know, which is the band of dictators that we've been, you know, suffering under and who managed to turn Alberta into a gulag for the last three years.
1: Yeah, that's a really important point. Again, getting involved, you know, talking to your MLAs. That's what they're there for, folks. They work for you. Make them work for you.
0: This is a great question. And we're at an hour and 10 minutes. So maybe this is where we uh, uh, answer these types of questions and get to the the real point of ABP. So Janice asks, my question is, what can we do as a people to prevent the next lockdown? I think most know that it is coming as climate change. And that may very well be true. I, I actually believe that's coming. And we've heard Teresa Tam Uh, speak these things now my answer has always been the same it is stand up use your voice and say enough is enough and that's what i want alberta to do so my my answer to this question is get involved with the alberta prosperity project and get your name as somebody that would uh has the intention to vote yes to a referendum on independence in this province if the federal government won't stay in their lane and they're threatening our future and prosperity that's what we can do we show up
2: no and again you know and i think we've been saying it all night you know if people want to prevent the next set of lockdowns you've got to get involved you know get mm-hmm. get a list of every mla in, in edmonton and email them all on a regular basis you know um send them copies of my substack 13. know that sets out all of the legislative changes that we expect from the government i've sort of been trying to put this stuff together in in packages for people to access them uh you know fairly easily i mean i have to say that substack is a bit longer than what i usually write. i think it's eight pages but um uh, you know it sets out in detail the specific legislative changes that would prevent this kind of nonsense from happening again in the future and uh, you know, I, uh, I would urge everybody to take a look at it. And again, it's uh, a conspiracy facts with Jeffrey Rath Substack, and it's my Substack 13. So if you go through, I think I've, I've written 21 of them this year. So if you go back to Substack 13, um, you know, you'll see the you know, you'll see the legislative changes that I'm proposing laid out in advance of the uh, UCP AGM. There's you know, and there's some other nonsense in there that you might find entertaining. So <laughs>
0: feel
2: free to peruse them at your, at your leisure
0: i'm I'm always excited when one uh, shows up in my email there's a lot of good information in there they're very well written but i always get a chuckle out of uh the way you use your words it's uh, quite entertaining there they are so uh leighton you sit on uh, the board of the aps what's your thoughts on this what is what do you see Alberta doing? You said that there's there's going to be a major change happening in Alberta. We're going to be leading the way. Uh, how does this tie into our our goal of uh, freedom, prosperity through independence?
1: Well, I think that um, the, there there are different ways to uh, to interpret the concept of independence, and uh, Dr. Modry talks about this a lot. Um, I, I'm less concerned about whether or not we have some relationship with the rest of Canada than I am about how our province is governed. Uh, because, um, you know, whether whether we we can be sovereign with within Canada or we could be sovereign outside of Canada, uh, both ways would work fine. And in a lot of ways, they wouldn't be a lot different depending on how we choose to design our province. But one thing is for certain and one thing we know is that if we continue on the track that we are right now, uh, the way things would have been for for you know since 1905 things are not going to change. Uh, pierre polivier is not the answer. um he's even trying to look more like justin trudeau every day. uh at, you know and and when you look at the policies oh, of the conservative yes. government there's really no distinction whatsoever. Uh, the difference between the liberal party and the conservative party is coke versus pepsi it's cola wars. and so Uh, To answer your question, I think what we need to do and APP is leading the way is to set a new course for Alberta, new Constitution, new Bill of Rights, a new way of governing ourselves that puts God at the head of the state and the rule of law and uh, that focuses upon individual freedoms, individual self-determination, property rights. Uh, These are the ways to guarantee freedom and prosperity for all Albertans and uh, but but that also places a responsibility on people. Uh, if we are going to be a free and independent province well, the flip side of being a freedom is responsibility and uh, all of us as Albertans are going to have to take more responsibility for our own lives. Be less reliant upon government have less expectation of government to solve all of our problems. The reality is folks we do a much better job of solving problems than the government does. Show me one thing that that our federal government, our provincial governments, or even our municipal governments do well that isn't done better and more cheaply by people in the private sector. And, uh, you know, there's a great book uh, by Albert Nock that's, that was written uh, 90 years ago in 1935. It's called Our Enemy of the State. And uh, that should be required reading for every Albertan because it sets out the realities of how we can do so, so much better than government. How government simply drives up costs, uh, creates bureaucracies uh, and really destroys the freedom and prosperity of, of individuals. They attack the family, they attack our traditional values and, and replace them with, with ones that, uh, that either are that, 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 that don't exist or, or, or lead us down paths that, that really are anti-human and and are destructive. Climate change is just one example of, well, of, of ones that are yeah. created by governments to to destroy our values. So, just, um, just, yeah, that's that's my thought.
2: Just to jump in, late and sorry. Yeah, um, the biggest threat right now facing Canada, besides you know Theresa Tam redeclaring her climate change emergency and Doctor Joffe, you know, locking us all down, um, is. Trudeau is the the looming inflation iceberg that our country is sailing towards. You know, yeah. in the last um, uh, eight years, Trudeau Jr. has run up more debt than all previous Canadian prime ministers combined, going all the way back to Sir John A. Macdonald. The
0: Canadian he didn't balance itself.
2: Currently stands at one point eight trillion dollars. This is you know th- this is inflationary. It's going to lead to the destruction of our economy because the only way they're going to be able to service that debt is through ever-increasing tax rates and basically driving all of the, you know, the prosperous contributing members of society out of our country. Because, you know, we could be at 90% tax rates sooner rather than later and Canada be turned into Venezuela because of this huge debt mountain that Trudeau's created uh, in the name of all of his progressive foolishness and the only way out of that for alberta is to declare independence we are the only province that can leave canada debt free even with a 1.8 trillion dollar national debt because of all of our contributions over the years through uh, so called equalization so it's time for people to wake up and realize that unless they want their children to be living you know you know living, living the world economic forum dream of owning nothing and being happy you know we need to get the hell out of Dodge, and we need to do it sooner rather than later, yeah. because you know a fiscal crisis of immense proportion is coming yeah. our way, thanks to the profligacy, you know, of the Trudeau, uh, you know, of the Trudeau regime and the one point eight trillion dollars in debt they have saddled us with.
1: Mm. Yeah, the last report I saw on the debt was uh, that that equates to sixty thousand dollars per person, every man, woman, and child in Canada, sixty thousand dollars.
0: Well, I don't have that much money, so I'll have to borrow it from the government, I think.
2: (laughs) But, I mean, that's that's the whole point. It's like the Weimar Republic before the the Reichsmark became completely valueless. Everybody thinks that they can just wave this magic fairy wand in the air and create money nonstop, and it's not going to have any long-term consequences. It's economic foolishness, and if Trudeau had even studied... You know, taking one first-year economics course, you know, instead of you know studying drama and hanging out with his pedophile roommate at uh, Point Grey Academy, um, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in. You know, so well, this is this is this is what we're dealing with. We have a drama teacher as you know as our prime minister that literally thinks that he can wave his little prop fairy wand in the air and just keep creating money ad nauseum. Unfortunately, economies don't work that way.
0: We're, we're in a tough spot here. And the way I look at this is I have nobody to blame but myself because I spent the majority of my adult life going along to getting along, thinking that the government was going to do things. My voice didn't matter. I didn't get involved. And that was wrong. I should have been involved the whole time. And if more people like me, like us, had been involved and we had shown up en masse and we had voted for common sense and reality and truth, we wouldn't be in this mess. But we're in a mess. Now... The fortunate thing is there is a path to get out of it there. There we don't have to live like this. We don't have to stay in this situation. We don't have to be ruled by a federal government that will not respect our, the sanctity of human life. When, when, when you get down to brass tacks, this province, like Jeff said, we're the only province that has the ability and the appetite to exercise our constitutional right to say federal government if you're driving this bus of Confederation over the cliff because you don't care about human life, we are getting off and we will walk and find another bus. We can do that as Albertans. It's it's completely plausible, it's probable if we do the work, and it's completely legal. So I want to encourage everyone out there, when you see the win that uh, that Leighton and Jeff have uh, have had against the government in, in court, don't be discouraged that the laws are still such that we can face those problems again. Use this as an opportunity to share this story with your friends and say, look it, we got off kind of lucky this time because these two men uh, did this work in court and they won for us. But if we don't take more steps to fix the problem that we're in, we're going to see it again. And it's going to be much worse. Tell them about the Alberta prosperity project, bring them out to the next meeting of which there will be one in your area. I'm hoping very soon. That's one of my goals as the new CEO is to get uh, the APP presence back out across this province. So I want to leave you folks with that. Be encouraged that we went through the things we did in the last three years and it got us to the point where we're paying attention to things, admitting there's a problem so we can find a solution. APP has the solution and we need your help to do it. Uh, So I hope that you would at least give us the opportunity to share our message with you and uh, bring you on board. And with that, gentlemen, unless there's anything else... Um,
1: I, I just um, want to put in yep. a, a quick a quick plug from my podcast uh, because uh, tomorrow morning there will be an episode coming on with Chris Barber, one of the heroes of the Freedom Convoy, and this fine gentleman, uh, Jeffrey Rath Esquire, uh, will, he's going to be interviewed tomorrow morning, and that show will air on Monday morning. So please tune in uh, and watch those. Uh, It's called Grey Matter Podcast. It's on uh, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Rumble, anywhere you find podcasts. Also uh, on, you know, Return to Reason uh, slash Grey Matter. It's there on the website. Lots of great stuff there to see. So uh, just thought I'd put in that that plug for it if that's okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like we talked about before, Leighton, we will make sure we get that up on the APP Facebook page so people can find it there. Uh, you're more than welcome to plaster it on the Whistle Stop page because uh, the the stuff that you and Jeff put out, you know, it's it's much more brainy than anything I can say. I have feelings and thoughts about certain things, but you guys really tie it together. So we all really appreciate the work you do uh, amongst the other work you do as lawyers. So thank you very on much that, for that. On that.
2: I'd appreciate it if you'd throw that Substack 13 of mine up on your Whistle Stop page as well. So I think it's You got as- it that you know, people take that and forward it to their MLAs and start demanding
0: action. Yeah. You know what? The nice thing about putting stuff like that on uh, the whistle Stop Facebook page is y- y- you wouldn't believe the people that watch that page. I've had many MLAs come and tell me that they found some content on my on my cafe Facebook page that made them question what was going on or maybe get more involved to try and change policy. So mm. uh, we can be more effective than than we realize at some point. Yeah. And
2: I'll, I'll email you. Upstack, like Chris. It's the the title. It's a long title, but it's, legi- it's something to do with legislative changes required, etc., etc. Okay.
0: All right. Well, <laughs> Kerry is uh, watching in the background, so I bet you he's already found it.
2: Conspiracy theorist one, even though that one, that's the one. Thank you.
0: There we go. Yeah. yeah. So you'll be able to find that on the Whistle Stop Cafe Facebook page as well. And regarding our next few webinars, uh, I've reached out to a few guests that I'm excited to bring on the show. One of them is uh, Mr. Sean Buckley, who you may remember from the NCI. Great guy. Yeah. Uh, So he'll be coming on a webinar in the near future to discuss what he heard at the NCI, what it means for us, uh, and what we can do with that information. And uh, there's a couple more interesting individuals that we're going to bring on as well. So stay tuned. And thank you very much for sticking with us for one hour, 24 minutes, and 30 seconds. I hope you all have a great night. And uh, if I don't see you somewhere across Alberta at an Alberta Prosperity Project event, I look forward to seeing you at the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mirror, Alberta, where we have the best coffee around and we have fries deep fried in lard. And you don't find <laughs> that anymore. Most- so
1: Fantastic.
0: All right. All the best. All right. Thanks. Good night, everybody. And thank you, Kerry, for running the back end. Really appreciate it. Thank
2: you, guys. All right. Over and out.
0: All right.